All right, I wish uh, to have us go to First Peter, please, and I'm going to read some scripture here with a brief comment or two, but I wish to, I want you to go to First Peter chapter 3. I will read it. First Peter 3, verses 1 to 7. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be one without a word by the behavior of their wives. And as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior, and let not your adorning, your adornment be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. Thus, Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children. If you do what is right without being frightened by any fear, you husbands, likewise, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with a weaker vessel, since she is a woman, and grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. A marital relationship is a very complex thing. It begins relatively simple. Two people love each other. They enjoy one another's company. They talk, dream about the future, and decide to get married. They may have some problems during the courtship, but they either work through them or ignore them, little realizing that they are setting out on a long journey that will be filled with challenges to their hopes of living happily ever after. In some cases, problems begin immediately on the honeymoon. Communication problems erupt. Decision-making regarding where to live, how to spend their money, and the inevitable disappointments that come in life bring out reactions and emotions, often surprising to one another. The husband may insist on controlling how the money is spent. The wife talks to her parents about matters her new husband thinks should be their own business. The wife may... Uh, Proved to be overly dependent or expects more time together with the husband than he had anticipated. The husband's old friends from days of bachelorhood, well, they can just uh, demand a lot of his time and keep him away from home. The wife's mother has a lot of definite opinions about how their apartment or house should be furnished or decorated. 
The husband's job becomes his mistress. The wife's weight gain agitates her husband. Children enter the marriage. Husband and wife have different styles of discipline and child rearing. Husband, maybe too harsh. Wife, maybe too lenient. Frequency of sex becomes a touchy issue. Husband pouts. Wife complains. An old problem with pornography comes to the attention of the wife. The wife develops chronic health problems. Husband grows impatient. Wife's driving habits irritate her husband. She follows other cars way too closely. Husbands get aggressive and angry with other drivers, scarily so. Husband eats potato chips with his mouth open. Wife talks about old boyfriends, longingly it seems. Husband leers at other women. Wife spends a lot of time on Facebook and posts pictures. Husband would rather not have been put there. Husband lets wife carry things and offers not to help and waits impatiently while wife gets children ready for church. Wife tells her husband how to drive. Husband criticizes his wife in front of other people. Have you had enough? And I'm only scratching the surface. I can tell you, I'm somewhat an authority on problems in marriage. I've created my fair share of them. And I have counseled many, many. I, I, you wouldn't believe I, 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 it's kind of overwhelming when I began to go through all my files. And I kept coming upon box load after box load of files on people. Now, I've got to get rid of them. And But reminding me of, you know, there are problems associated with married life. That's just the way it is, folks. So let's proceed. I want to offer you some just fundamental principles on what's involved in overcoming problems in marriage. I am not saying that if you follow these principles, then if you really got with it in the first year, then from there on, it's smooth sailing. That would be idiocy. That my... Marriage is going to present its own problems. No two people can live together without having to work through things and the seasons of life and the varying circumstances that come in life. They just naturally bring up issues and conflicts and problems. So I want to bring uh, these to your attention. Let's go to the first. Overcoming marital problems will happen when God's honor, when God's honor is the passionate pursuit of both husband and wife, you've got to start here. We've got to start vertically before we can go to the horizontal issues. Because we were created to worship God. That is who we are or who we are supposed to be. Who comes first? May I remind you of the first commandment, the Ten Commandments? It's a prohibition against worshiping other gods. 
Why? Because, as has been often said by us in the pulpit here, quoting Calvin, the heart, human heart, is an idol factory. Seems to know no end to the kinds of things that we can elevate to the place of our devotion and love above God. It's giving, idolatry is giving any, to any human desire, precedence over God's will. It's essentially self-worship. And does that ever present challenges to a marriage? As I've told would-be couples, would-be married couples through the years, you know what you're about to find out when you get married? How selfish you are. You're going to find out there's a lot of furniture that's got got to be put out on the street. I don't mean physical furniture, but a lot of stuff in the heart is going to start coming up. And when you were looking across the table at one another at Carabas, and you were in the twilight of the evening, and you were thinking about the future and talking sweet talk, did, you, did it cross your mind that I'm sitting across from a very selfish person and that one, she or he, is sitting across another very selfish person? It should send shivers down our spine and make us realize, oh God, I'm made for you. And if I don't get that right, I'm in real trouble. So there it is. And that... You know, if we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, strength, body, we're going to take God seriously, very seriously. And take him seriously means that I want to know him. And you know what else it means? It means that I want to know that person to whom I'm about to commit myself and we to whom we're to commit, about to commit each other. We're to know God as Redeemer. Do you know God? Now, I... I know it, I could move along and leave this unsaid, but I, I've got to say it. If you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ through forgiveness of sin and eternal life and experience his redemption, why, you are on a dead-end street. You cannot find any hope, ultimate hope, for bringing glory to God in your marriage unless you bend the knee of the heart and come to Christ for eternal life. I hope we're clear on that. Do you hear me, young people? That's got to be done. That's got to be in it's a matter that has to be addressed. And do you know, are you knowing God experientially? Growing, changing. But you know what it means? The pursuit, a passionate pursuit of God and honoring Him, it means also that we were created to serve others. We're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, strength, and we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. Love your neighbor. And what does this mean? It means that you would pursue your spouse in love with the same zeal with which you pursue your own happiness. And I can guarantee you, we are pretty good at that. That's just why we're wired that way to pursue our happiness and what brings pleasure to us. And so think of your spouse as your neighbor. And think of that intensity of love that you are to show to your spouse as an intensity 
that will demonstrate the same enthusiasm, the same creativity, and perseverance that goes into the pursuit of your own good. Can we start there? That we are to love the spouse that God has given to us, husband, wife, by fulfilling our responsibilities. And I'll add this one final thing here. The world is watching. The world is watching. Jesus said, by this all men will know that you're my disciples, that you love one another. And the Christian marriage is to be exhibit A in the power of the gospel to transform a life and bring two people together with all of the complexities that are involved in marriage and all of the problems that a husband and wife will have to face together and to demonstrate, demonstrate the power of the gospel and what it means, as I hope to unfold here. But I want to start there. So that's number one, that overcoming marital problems means that it's going to happen when God's honor is the most important thing. Not your honor. God's honor. And that this is the passionate pursuit of both. Let's go to number two. Oh, almost forgot. I came across this. I thought it might be a good uh, little somewhat humorous reminder. I have had this around for a long time. It used to be a cartoon that says the Lockhorns. You remember that cartoon? And here's this forlorn-looking wife. She's sitting in the chair by the window with her head in her hand, looking out the window, looks rather sad and here, here he, her husband is, and he's standing there looking a little bit disheveled and holding a glass, and he's looking with saying, looking at her saying this, What do you mean our marriage isn't going anywhere? Where do you want it to go? Oh, where do you want it to go? Do you know where your marriage should go? Do you? All right, let's proceed. Pursuing God. Secondly, Overcoming marital problems will happen when both husband and wife acknowledge that there are problems. There are big problems and there are little problems. Oh, and Solomonic wisdom to know the difference. (laughs) Problems. Now, you know this, don't you, about problems. This is kind of a relationship 101 uh, truth principle that there are problems that you notice that are on the action level. It's just what you're seeing happen, behavior. Then the the problem, though, has another layer. It's sort of like thinking that you could think of it like an iceberg and that the next one is the emotional level. That's what you're feeling as the behavior is taking place. Now, too often, when problems are recognized and addressed, they usually kind of our attention, our periscope stays right there. What I'm feeling and what's happening. But you can't stay there because there's the third level, which has to be probed and examined. That's the heart level. Now, problems. Oh, a truckload of problems. Now, I have gone through some of them in my introduction, but let's just uh, lay out some of the issues that become so troublesome in marriages. Money, sex, 
We'll start with those two. They do head the list, purposely so. Church, in-laws, friends, children, hobbies, housekeeping, television, movies, sports, landscaping, messy garage, attic, house repairs, work, job, annoying habits, politics, food, meals, sleeping, snoring, going to bed when you get up, public manners, rudeness, flirting, communication. I, that's just the tip of some of the problems that go in, come, come upon in marriage. And then there are problems that I think we should see uh, as big problems. You know, what I would suggest is that you get Jerry Bridges' book on respectable sins. That's right. I want to make that. If I were doing premarital counseling all the time, I think that would be one of the books to read. I, I think it would be. Respectable sins where you have to deal with issues like self-centeredness and pride and anger and jealousy and fear and lust. Now, I understand that this matter of big problems and little problems is more complicated than the way I'm presenting it to you. They're not so neatly categorized to say, well, that's a little one. We'll just count it as such and treat it as such. And then there are the big problems. It's not that easy because oftentimes little problems are big problems. Why are they big problems? Because these so-called little problems, say, like rudeness. I mean, you might could say rudeness. Uh, could, would you accept my sake of argument and say, well, that's a big problem. But let's just let's reduce it to um, what did I say about the husband sits in the car while the wife, she's working to get the car packed, get the kids ready, get the car seat ready, get the Cheerios, put in the little sip, sippy cups, and da-da-da-da-da-da, and all this, and the husband just sitting there, and he's giving her these sideward glances and kind of uh, uh, poking her why she's uh, whether we're going to be late, that kind of thing. Well, you'd say, that's rudeness. But would you say that, is that the same that he's uh, sleeping around, sleeping with other women? Well, we'd say that's really big. And the, But you see, it's a little more complex than that. I'm not suggesting that you could minimize this one, the rudeness, in contrast to the adultery. But you've got to see where the roots of these problems go. And you see an enormous amount of self-focus, don't you? And you see a relationship between the two, don't you? So I know I've presented this little problems, big problems, but I would at least like you to see that God's wisdom is the key in solving, solving any problem. And therefore, you've got to have a Bible-saturated mind and a keen sense of otherness. This is what goes into this whole matter of recognizing their problems. Now, it is true. It is true that you say, well, why in the world would you ever put this in this principle in here that you've got to acknowledge that there are problems? But I can safely say to you that in talking with couples through 50-plus years, that, it, yes, there can be one or both. Usually it's the man. I'm sad to say it's usually the man. Thanks. What problems? We just got to fix the wife. And there are reasons for that. We'll come to that a little later on. But what I'm saying is that there's got to be this humble and grace-hungry attitude. Lord, there are probably problems in my marriage. Hey, assume this. There, there are problems, Lord, in my marriage that I'm, not, I'm clueless about. That's, that's a safe thing to say. And, Lord, I, I need your help. I need wisdom. 
I need for you to touch my heart. I need for you to give me counsel. I need you to give me rebuke where it's needed. I need for whatever it takes, Lord, if it takes some pain and suffering and some failure, what is it going to take? Now, Lord, I need you. And, Lord, I want to know your wisdom and how to sort things out and proceeding and thinking and such. All right, so we go there. Then thirdly, overcoming marital problems will happen when myths about marriage are exposed to the light of truth. Now, I have a sampler list here that uh, you, I think they're in your notes. There are no blanks to fill in, but let me just uh, go by them. Or did I put them in the notes? Are they there? They are there. Okay. And I'm not going to take and comment very, very much on these, but and you may want to add some others to them, but they are. The goal of marriage is happiness. Oh, is it? Well, how long do you think your marriage may last when one of a problem that's presented to you uh, begins to compromise that happiness and you're not as happy as you want, it to, be, want to be? Do you think things are going to work out if that's the way you see the goal? Now, I'm not saying happiness is not involved. There's more to it. That authority solves all problems. Now, husband may think that, you know, people just would follow my directions and my infinite wisdom in this home. Things could be a lot, you know, men know how to fix things. We're, we fix things. The wife may think, well, what's really needed in this relationship is some of my authority because I got a whole lot better sense about what's wrong here than my spouse, my husband does. So you see the conflict there, that authority was solid. Well, We're only skating on the surface with that kind of thought. That the base, I'll just read these others. I'm taking too much time with these. That the basis of marriage is love. That having children will draw a husband and wife closer. That submission means silence. That marriage is a 50-50 proposition. You correct that one. It should be. It's a 100-100 proposition. I'm going to fulfill my responsibilities. You fulfill yours. And that it's better to be married than single. That's to those who think when you get married that that's going to take care of a lot of problems. No, you're just signing on for a different, whole different set of problems. Fourthly, overcoming marital problems will happen when husband and wife take their marriage vows Seriously. Before whom did you make those vows? Before God. They're promises that are meant to be kept. So you see, addressing marital problems means that, listen, I'm committed to you. I am, I I want to do what I said before that, if you had a church wedding, before that pastor before all those in attendance, I want to keep my word. Do you cherish that value, that keeping your word is of ultimate importance? I want to read you something that uh, I came upon, this little book. It's actually a booklet. It's called Living by Vows. This is part of the premarital. I had a number of these. I think some of them are still around. This is the 
the story of uh, Dr. Robertson McQuilkin, and who is, as it says here, that when he resigned as president of Columbia University of South Carolina, after which he was named president emeritus, he, but he resigned to take care of his wife, Muriel, who was in the early stages of uh, Alzheimer's slash dementia. Interesting, just as a sidelight, when this thing was just breaking open, I mean, this this problem in his, uh, with his wife, Muriel, that was about 1982-83. And I'll tell you why I remember, because he came to our missions conference. He was the first mission speaker that we had to, remember we had the, uh, the um, uh, Great Commission workshop? He spoke to us, and we had that workshop, and we really worked on ourselves and what we need to do for missions in 1983. And I never forget the night that he came to the door. He had driven, bless his heart. He's such a, um, he, he, he is president of a school and an author and had a lot of, you know, some prestige in, in Christian circles. But there he was coming to this, we, we were, uh, this little house. He stayed, he stayed with us, Beth. I can't remember. I think we, we put him up there in the house. But he had been driving from Columbia. He was tired, I could tell. And, and he began to open his heart a little bit. He was having some, some difficulties, some things, some memory issues with his wife, Muriel. Well, he didn't know. He thought it was heart issues, uh, heart problems. Well, that was the beginning of it. Well, all that to say that what came about is that it, his wife's condition worsened Muriel, his wife, and her uh, Alzheimer's, and she could not bear having him out of her sight. So much so that when he would go to school, which was down Monticello Road there, and she would, uh, there were occasions early on where she would leave the house and follow him and showed up at school with bloody feet. She just had this, uh, well, uh, insecurities and fears just, just overwhelmed her. And he resigned the presidency so he could take care of her. I mean, he was in the zenith of what you would look upon as him as being his effectiveness. And he wrote about this experience. And it had a powerful impact on a generation. This was back, it was occurring during the 80s. This came out in 19... Well, he wrote the book, A Promise Kept, The Story of an Unforgettable Love, Tyndall House, 1998. But this... Uh, this was an article for Christianity Today, all right, 1990. Here's what he said. This is just the last couple of paragraphs in this, this book, but uh, Living by Vows. He said, I have been startled by the response to the announcement of my resignation. Husbands and wives renew marriage vows. Pastors tell the story of, to their congregations. It was a mystery to me until a distinguished oncologist who lives constantly with dying people told me, quote, almost all women stand by their men. Very few men stand by their women. Perhaps people sense this contemporary tragedy and somehow were helped by a simple choice I considered the only option. It is all more, it, it is all more than keeping promises and being fair, however. As I watch her brave descent into oblivion, Muriel is the joy of my life. Daily, I discern new manifestations of the kind of person she is. 
the wife I always loved. I also see fresh manifestations of God's love, the God I long to love more fully. Wow. And I, I'll tell you, this did, it was a major impact because we were just in the middle of this whole self-esteem movement was just really fired up on all cylinders and it was, you know, the, the me thing, all, it's all about me. And then this, I'll repeat, overcoming marital problems will happen when both husband and wife take their marriage vows seriously. Five, overcoming marital problems will happen when the differences between men and women are understood and accepted, and I add this, and sanctified, and sanctified. I mean by sanctified that the Spirit of God so gets hold of you and changes you and work in the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, and so forth, that our normal, our, our sexual, sexual uh, characteristics, masculinity and femininity. Now let me precede this by something. You heard about the man who said to his wife that he didn't know how she could be so beautiful and so stupid at the same time. The wife responded, allow me to explain. God made me beautiful so you would be attracted to me. God made me stupid so I would be attracted to you. (laughs) Well, I want to tell you about a war. There is a war on men, masculinity, and a war on femininity. It's been... It's been going on for some decades now. I don't have time to pursue that. I'm just, I'm now reading the book, The War on Boys. And, uh, oh my, what's, what has gone on in our culture? But let me go back to this matter of the differences. You see, boys are not girls with a different anatomy. And what has happened in the last, in, during one of the, the feminist movement had, may, has made some contributions, but I'll tell you what, it's done an awful, awful lot of mischief and created an awful lot of trouble in our culture with regard to masculinity. You know, one thing I've noticed, I don't know how people could have missed it, but it, this, the feminist movement, it was about making women into men. Now, that would just horrify a feminist say, oh! But if you go back and think of the ways in that they wanted to try to make women more like men. And correspondingly, they've ended up making men more like women. All right. Well, yes, the feminization of society, that's taking place. But let me read a statement that I found in a book that uh, I go to often. It's a good reference book called Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, if you're familiar with that book. It's, um, this is a section, a chapter in which John Piper has written to this issue of womanhood, manhood, and the differences. He said, and I quote, We need to heed here about the differing strengths of men and women. Whenever anyone asks if we think women are, say, weaker than men, or smarter than men, or more easily frightened than men, or something like that, a good answer would go like this. 
Women are weaker in some ways. Men are weaker in some ways. Women are more easily frightened in some kinds of circumstances. And men are more easily frightened in other kinds of circumstances. And he concludes in saying, It's very misleading to put negative values on so-called weaknesses that each of us has by virtue of our sexuality. I, I will say to you that this point here, the distinction, what masculinity is and femininity and looking this in the, through the lens of Scripture is a very important subject, and um, I'm only giving it a, a sideward glance here. But uh, I think it's necessary because for two reasons. It's because many of the, culture, the, the cultural baggage is often brought into a marriage. And it can come from the home, in the school system, more so now than probably than 40 years ago. And so now you're getting couples who are coming into relationship, into marriage. And they have been so uh, marinated, marinated in the cultural views with regard to masculinity and femininity, which is there's just absolute confusion. So the growth and development of this transgender uh, um, view in, in sexuality. Now, I mean, the, the, you, in California, you know, if you, if you get your, uh, the necessary people to sign on to your transgender, there's a word for the condition, that if you feel like a girl, you can go to the girl's restroom, though you're a guy. And this kind of, uh, I, I just don't know another word to use other than it's stupidity. And so we're getting this confusion with regard to the genders. Now, that's an extreme example. But I will tell you that understanding what real masculinity is and what femininity is and appreciating them and how they complement one another, complement one another. So I'll just leave it at this, that if you have an inclination to think that because you're a male and that you have, um, was it, it was Jack Nicholson, I don't know the movie, so don't hold me to the movie and say, oh, I'll go see that movie. I just know I've heard this quote that this woman is asking him in the movie. I think she's saying, how would she, he make a woman? She seems to be quite impressed with his view of women. He would say, well, I would take away reason and I would take away accountability. And that's a woman that he would make. Now, that's a very arrogant male, see there, saying that. So men, they think they want to try to turn a woman into a man. But women return the favor. They think that the husband should be a woman. And so there, there you go with uh, the attempts to not appreciate the differences, but let the difference. And let me tell you, when you get, when you understand this, and it's a lifelong understanding, <laughs> when, you, when you begin to get a grip on this, it's going to make for wonderful teamwork. Wonderful teamwork. All right, I'm going to leave it at that. Let's go. We've got to move along. Sixth, overcoming marital problems will happen when repentance and forgiveness are more than just words. Here's a verse that's flashing on my marquee right here. James 4, 6. God is opposed to the proud, but he gives, gives grace to the humble. Humility? Well... You see, repentance is the very opposite of excuse-making, alibis. Disciples of Jesus are to be repenters. 
The Christian must repent and confess his or her sins in order to be forgiven. That wonderful theology has got to be a part of everyday life. Never underestimate the power of forgiveness. God's a forgiving God. Here, we're at the, we're in the inner sanctum of the gospel here, folks. See why I said that when, when husband and wife, when they draw the line in the sand, and there's something where there needs to be a forgiveness, and they don't do it, it's a denial of the cross of Christ. It's the very nature of God to, to forgive. And he will forgive all our sins, not just some of them. I mean, I don't have time to unpack this wonderful truth of God's forgiveness. And it comes to those who ask for it. He's generous with his forgiveness. Aren't you thankful for that? Oh. How, how absolute, what, what despair there would be without it. And so we are to forgive others as God has forgiven us. So you see, there's our prototype, if you will. There's our model. God is. Not the way my parents handled it. Not the way some cute little book I read handled it. It may be, it may be right. It may not be. But when we've been sinned against, must forgive those and ask, and ask for their forgiveness. I must be willing to grant it. Matthew 5 and 23 and 24 and Matthew 18, 15 through 35. So we release them from the sin debt against us. See? See what that does and how it addresses. Now, not all problems in marriage are problems where you've got to go and confess a sin. Now, that may be if you've not handled the problem correctly. But if it comes to the place where there has been a word that you've said, oh, you should never have said that. Or something that you did, or something that something you did has been brought to your attention. So I must be willing to take care of it. All right, number seven. <clears throat> Overcoming marital problems will happen when both husband and wife know their res- what their responsibilities are and fulfill them. Oh, this is this is major, and I did um, back in night. 19- 1993, um, found a lengthy series on husbands love your wives, wives loving your husbands, did that series, so I'm really compressing it here. When I say these things, that the husband is to love his wife with a self-denying, sacrificial, sanctifying, caring love. Men, the way you show love to the wife is by leading, it's by providing, and it's by protecting. You may want to put that up in some sort of little um, note on the mirror when you, where you shave or in your car. You have to be reminded. The wife is to love her husband with a submitting, affirming, receiving, nurturing love. Out of those conclusions, I mean, those conclusions are coming from recognizing differences and what the husband does in loving and leading, being the head of the home and the wife submitting, and she is the accompanist. Submitting, affirming, receiving, and nurturing love. Now, what will be to that couple? You know, and let me back and put it this way. 
many problems do come from failure, failure to understand how this very rudimentary basic principle is to be observed. I'll never forget years ago. It's the only time I think, to my knowledge, that it ever happened in a marriage counseling is way back. And I had a couple, they weren't in the church, they had heard that I did marriage counseling and, you know, a preacher, you marry folk. And, and um, one of the, I believe it was the first session, and we went through some of these basic things here about the husband being the head of the home, the wife, and explaining what submission is. It's the way she expresses her love to her husband, love to the Lord. And the the husband, or the husband-to-be, the groom, he heard her say that she didn't believe that. That she didn't think that that's the way that a marriage should be conducted. And apparently they had not talked very much about these things because I saw that he was stunned. And he actually called off the marriage, at least at that time. I don't know, they may have gone on somewhere else, but he said we can't. It just so uh, threw him for a loop that he just said, hey, time out, we can't go forward. We, well, I thought that was a pretty mature thing to do right on the spot. I never saw them again. Well, understanding what those basic responsibilities are. Now, that's where the church comes in to be a culture, a local church to be a culture where these kinds of things are explained. So that's why I would, I won't add this as another point, why a church that's thriving and creating flourishing marriages is a church which keeps these things out there for people to be exposed to what the scriptures say and to know. So they're coming in on a Sunday and maybe things or the wheels are coming off in the marriage. It's a church experience. It may not have to always be in the I mean, preacher can't preach at the whole council of God every Sunday. <laughs> but other things happen. There are teachers, there are friendships and uh, small groups and ways in which you create this culture where you begin to see these things come into sharp focus. All right, maybe go to the final one. Number eight, overcoming marital problems will happen when the cross life is a way of life. And here's what I mean. Now this is, I did a series on the demands of Jesus. And will you think with me about the demand of Jesus here for disciples at this point, for a husband and wife and marital problems? Here's what I mean. The call of Jesus Christ to all his disciples is a call to death. And what is death? The denial of self. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gain the whole world forfeit his soul? Well, the Son of Man is going to come. The glory of his Father with his angels will repay everyone according to his deeds. Think of that as a very important litmus test as to the vibrancy of your marriage and seeking to handle marital problems. So the denial of self is turning from the idols of the heart. It's taking up your cross, in, which is what I would call a sober intoxication in delight in doing the will of God. And I would say, secondly, that the call of Jesus Christ to all his disciples is a call to gain through loss. Paradoxically so, gain through loss. So, yeah, you come into marriage to lose. To lose what? Lose self-centered living. 
Give it up. Deal with it. And God-centered living becomes the gain. It's so much more. It's so much more rich, and the marriage flourishes. That. What does it mean to gain the whole world? Well, to gain the whole world is obtaining the joys and the pleasures of this world, where God is not in the picture. Sure, there are joys and pleasures, but they're temporary, and you pay the consequences. And then the call of Jesus Christ to all his disciples is a call to the kingdom. What's that mean? I'm referencing Mark 8, 38, and Mark 9, 1. It's this. See, when I dishonor Christ, I'm going to experience shame at Christ's coming. I've got to look eye to eye with Jesus Christ. Should that sober us? I would hope so. And that the return of Christ is going to be a time for reward or lack thereof. Oh, Lord, I want to bring honor and glory to you by having, Lord, know that the problems that we experience together in life, though not perfect, oh, God, I want, I've wanted to please you and honor you and thank your thoughts after you and do things your way and love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength and love my neighbor, my spouse, as myself. I'll say two things in conclusion. Two things. First of all, let your problems in marriage draw you nearer to God and to one another. You're going to have problems. Don't deny it. You're going to have them. You probably, you probably have got some now. If, you're, if, you're, if your body's at room temperature, that you have some problems. Let them draw them nearer to you, draw you nearer to God and to one another. My, my dear little granddaughter, Melanie, some years back, she gave me a little blue stone, a little about that big, and it sits on a little uh, cradle there, like, just sign it. And it said, draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. I've got it right there by my prayer chair. Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. You want to get closer to God? Well, look how this works. You get near to God, you get near to your spouse. And if you're getting near to your spouse God's way, you get near to God. It's the, the, the triangle effect. That's the first thing I would say. And then I'll say one last thing. There's a reason why I wore this outfit tonight. Other than the fact that it's really comfortable. <laughs> There's a reason. And I want to take this time to thank the church for that uh, time away that you gave us. And when Beth and I went to Hawaii a couple of years ago. Now, we know not everybody gets to do that. And I thank the church for making that possible for us. But I use that as what I wore when we ate at Mama's, Mama's Fish House on Maui. Wow, what a place. <laughs> And uh, it's more classy than the name would have make it seem. Uh, and But I, I use that as an example of something. And you don't have to go to Hawaii for what I'm saying here, but I'm just, this is the reminder. Husbands and wives, do you ever do anything fun together? Just the two of you. I know you've got children. You've got to take care of them, and they go with you most places. But let me tell you the value of just, and, and this is especially difficult for the wife. Oh, I oh I can't bear the thought. You, you want to leave the child with a cell phone, have them check in. Every, 
All right, I understand those, those struggles. But for a husband and wife to go off for a day or two, periodically, I know it could, you don't have to make it expensive. You can't go to Hawaii, though, maybe every 50 years. Um, uh, but something. And <clears throat> I, I remember Beth and I driving around the countryside up in Vermont. Just go somewhere and rent a car if you're able to do that. Rent a car and just let it be kind of serendipitous. Say, well, look at that place. I bet that'd be an interesting place to eat. Or look, there's an antique place over there. Let's just go kind of nose around and do something different and have fun and just, you know, I'm not saying you got to go and just, we'll go away so we can talk about all our problems. But, you, you know, you may end up talking about somebody. It'll be in a light moment. You may be in front of a Dairy Queen and ordering a, a Dairy Queen dipped in chocolate. And it, maybe you could talk about it. And it, it will come. But I think sometimes marriages, that things get so tight and so grim as the husbands and wives forget what it means to just have fun together. Do something. It could be a, maybe a day trip. And down the road, I, you know, what it, what it takes. But, oh, if we could just be a church filled with people, marriages that are flourishing. And not that we don't have problems, but that, you know what, we're all eager to handle them God's way. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for these dear people. Marriages here tonight, Lord, marriages. And, Lord, where they need to have the... The, the, the sweetness of renewal of vows and commitment to solving problems together. Lord, affect that. Make that a reality this week. And for those that are listening who weren't able to be here tonight, Lord, I pray that you'll punch this through right into their soul. And Father, for these young people here tonight, Marriage seems so far away in their minds. Lord, I pray that there will be a generation will come up in this church thriving, flourishing, happy, Christ-exalting, God-centered, Bible-loving, Holy Spirit-driven marriages. For your glory in Christ's name, amen.